1 John 5, let's stand for the reading of God's Word, and we're going to look at verse 19 and 20 uh, this evening. Uh, those, that will be our principal text. Look at verse 19, the Bible says, And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And we know that the Son of God is come, and hath given us an understanding, that we may know Him that is true, and we are in Him that is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. We'll look at verse 21 next, uh, in two weeks, rather. Uh, we're going to devote a whole sermon to verse 21. But tonight, we're going to look at verse 19 and 20 and keep those in context with the rest of the chapter as well. The title of the message this evening is this, What a Disciple of Jesus Ought to Know. What a Disciple of Jesus Ought to Know. 1 John chapter 5, we're told over and over again that there are some things that a Christian ought to know. And we're going to look at that this evening, and uh, there will be a little bit of a twist at the end of the sermon. So make sure you stay awake all the way to the end. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you'd help us tonight to have uh, a deeper, fonder appreciation for your word, and Lord, for you. Lord, may we fall more and more in love with you each and every day. As we open your word and study it and understand it, Lord, may we have a a keen heart, a fondness for the living word and not just the written word. Thank you that you are alive and well. You are still all-powerful and ever in charge. No one can ever knock you off your throne. You never have a bad day. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Help us, Lord, to draw nigh knowing that you'll draw nigh and return. Be with our message this evening. Be with the, the speaker and the listener. May each be spirit-filled in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Many people who call themselves Christians are not Christian. Many people who claim that title are not Christian. Many people who are saved are also not truly Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, the first requirement to be a Christian, I mean a true Christian, you must be redeemed by Christ through faith in His sacrifice on the cross. It's always been and it always will be about Jesus Christ. And you have to be a believer in Jesus. Uh, If there's been a time in your life where you've put your full faith and trust in Jesus Christ, His death, His burial, His resurrection, as your way to heaven, then, my friend, you meet the first qualification of what it takes to be a Christian. You are saved. But to be a miniature version of Christ, which is the definition of Christian, a miniature version of Christ, you must behave like Christ. You must behave like Christ. There are many people who are saved who do not behave like Christ. To be a true Christian, you must commit to the the discipline of being His disciple. Let me say that again. You must commit to the discipline of being His disciple. A lot of people believe in Jesus, but they're not truly His disciple. You see, disciple and discipline come 
from the same root word. And someone who is a disciple of Christ is someone who is living their life in a disciplined way to please the Christ who saved them from hell. They've also allowed themselves to be underneath the hand of discipline of God and they respond well to the hand of discipline of God so they can have the disciplines in their life that qualify them to be the disciple of Christ. And so a a Christian is first a believer in Christ and secondly, he is an active disciple in Christ. If you are living like you want to, going where you want to, being friendly with who you want to, saying whatever you want to, eating and drinking whatever you want to, then you are no disciple of Christ. Hence, you are not truly a Christian. You may very well be saved, but you are no Christian. Let me illustrate. All right, let's say that I went down to um, a local gym, um, L.A. Fitness or... Uh, what's the big one here in town? Edge, right? I think Edge is a big one. Uh, let's say I went to Edge or LA Fitness and I got myself a lifetime membership. I don't even know if they sell those. But let's just say that I pulled out an exuberant amount of cash and I said, I am buying a lifetime membership. And the manager or owner looked at the wad of money in my hand and he said, you know what, we don't sell those, but for you we sell that. And he sold me a lifetime membership. Now, up, um, uh, he sold that to me up front, and that would make me a member of that gym or that chain of gyms for the rest of my life. Does having the membership mean that I am automatically in shape? be great, wouldn't it? A lot of people waste their money January 1 getting a gym membership, and they go for about six weeks... And then they don't go back. How many of you have been guilty of that at some point in your life? Okay, my hand's up. And I get in trouble with my wife when that happens. You're wasting our money at that gym. All right. Um, Now, you need to not only be a member, you need to go. Having the membership, listen now, having the membership is the entry point. But I must show up regularly consistently, and put in the work um, if other people are going to look at me and label me as a healthy, in-shape person. Being a member of a gym means nothing if you never show up. But what if all you do is show up and sit around on the equipment? I've seen people do this. They go to the gym... They sit on a machine, and it's like, that's not a chair. It's supposed to lift weights. Or they don't put the pin in, and so they're just pushing the bar with no weight, right? They give the appearance of working out. How many of you uh, have uh, ever seen someone do that? How many of you have ever been the person? Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, yep, a couple of you. Um, What if all you do is walk around and watch everyone else work out? You know, you still won't be in any shape when you leave the gym than you were, any better shape when you leave the gym than you were when you came in. Now, let me make the application. Simply sitting around the church does not make you a disciple of Christ. A lot of people think, oh, I go to church. 
That means I'm a disciple of Christ. Going to church is one discipline of a Christian, but there are so many others. Now, if I was going to be effective at working out, there are some basics that I need to know, all right? And um, uh, Mrs. Rachel Rivera, I hope you don't mind me using you as an illustration tonight because I'm going to, all right? Um, if, I, if, if it bothers you, I apologize. But Mrs. Rachel Rivera is a certified trainer at a gym, and she helps people get into shape. Look at her husband, Mike. Doesn't he look great? Rachel gets all the credit. That's not true, I don't think. I don't know. Maybe it is. Um, why do people hire someone like Rachel to help them? Watch this now. She has knowledge about being fit that will help them achieve their goal. She has knowledge. Now, I have gone to the gym. I, there, there's, there was a time in my life, right before April was born. April, it's all your fault while I'm out of shape. Amen? There was a time before uh, April was born where I went to the gym. I met uh, another man in the church. I went every day at 5.30. Every day. For months. Every day. And we lifted weights. We ran. I could run a six-and-a-half-minute mile and, and be fine when I got done. And then April was born, and all the wheels fell off. Amen? Um, but I never hired a personal trainer. And you know what? My workouts were not quite right. I never quite had things in balance because I didn't have the knowledge to get me there. The head knowledge was lacking for things to be effective. John in this epistle has given us quite a bit of introduction on what it is we need to do in order uh, to be an effective disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, Christian, listen up. Having the knowledge is only half the battle. Having the knowledge is only half the battle. Putting in the work is the other half. Let's say that I went to the gym where Miss Rachel, Mrs. Rivera here is a trainer and I hired her to be my trainer and she says, now you need to do this and this and this and this. And boy, she went through all of what I needed to do and I had the head knowledge, but then I never was willing to show up and put in the work. I could know it all up here. If I'm not willing to take what I know and put it into action, I'm going to continue to be out of shape. And there are a whole lot of Christians, they sit in church and they hear the pastor preach the Bible. I'm your trainer, spiritual trainer. This is a spiritual gym, if you will, and I give you all of the knowledge from the Word of God that you need to have. But many people soak in the knowledge and they never put it into practice. To be a true disciple of Christ, you need to know and you need to do. That's why... We're told in Scripture, in the book of James, not to only be hearers of the Word, but what? Doers also. Doers also. I, I, I didn't put a proposition in my sermon tonight, but if I could just give you one on the fly. Here it is. Christians all around the country and even in this church are out of spiritual shape. And it isn't from a lack of knowledge. It's from a lack of spiritual action. We have covered 1 John chapter 5, verse by verse. Sometimes it is healthy to take a step back and look at the chapter in a broader sense in order for us to feel the full impact of what a verse or two in particular 
are trying to communicate to us. What I am saying is that I believe verse 19 and verse 20 will be far more powerful and far more helpful if we keep it in context with the rest of the chapter. So there are seven times in chapter 5 where John tells us uh, what it is we should know. He tells us that we should know something. Look with me at verse number 2 of 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 2. Notice this. By this we know. By this we know that we love the children of God. Look at verse 13. Look down to verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. Look at verse number 15. And if we know that he hear us, we know that he hear us. Look down at verse number 18. We looked at this verse last week. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. Whosoever is born of God sinneth not. We know. We know. Look at verse 19. This is verse 19. This is where we are tonight. 19 and 20. And we know that we are of God. More about that in a moment. Look at verse number 20. And here's the sixth and seventh time we find this, these words together in, in chapter 5. And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true. I believe that many Christians would be more likely to know God with all their hearts if they had a better understanding of who He is in their heads. Sometimes I look at a Christian who's floundering and struggling and failing at their Christian life. And I'm left to draw one conclusion. They do not know what I know. Because if they knew what I know, they would not be doing what they're doing. I cease to be amazed that when I stand up on a Sunday morning, even sometimes on a Sunday evening, and I preach a sermon with very simple doctrine, how many people go, wow, I didn't know that. Well, Christian, it's on you to feed yourself as well as on me to feed you. There are some things that we need to know. Are you a disciple of Christ? Do you want to be a disciple of Christ? then there are some things that you need to know. So let's look at all seven things that a Christian ought to know this evening out of the fifth and final chapter of 1 John 5. We will look at these seven things with six individual points, and then we will make a heart application about the seventh right at the end of the message. Let's jump right in. Number one, number one, we are to love God's children. We are to love God's children. If there is an emphasis in the book of 1 John, if there is a theme that runs through the book, here we are down to the last three verses. By now, I hope we have figured out the theme. If there's one theme that runs throughout the book, here it is. Because God loves you so much, you have an obligation to love all of God's children. That's what the whole book is about. It's a book about relationships. Uh, look, that means the ones that are easy, and that means the ones that are hard. That means the ones you get along with, and that means the ones you don't get along with. Uh, that means you're to love the ones that uh, uh, rub you the wrong way, and those that don't rub you the wrong way. We are to love all of God's children. Back up with me to 1 John chapter 5, uh, verse number 2. Look at verse number 2. We're going to read down through verse number 5. It says, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus 
is the Son of God. A marker of being a child of God is that you love God's children. And you say, well, how do I know if I'm effectively loving God's children? Well, verse 3 gives us two qualifiers. Look at verse 3. This is the love of God when we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. I missed one. Back up to verse number 2. When we love God. There it is. When we love God and keep His commandments. What are the two ways of me knowing the two uh, uh, markers that show that I am effectively loving the children of God. The first one is that I love God. If I love God, I cannot help but love God's children. Let me say that again. If I love God, I cannot help but love God's children. And throughout my tenure as pastor here, and even going back before I was a pastor here, there have been people in my life that... I have found difficult to love. How many of you have someone in your life right now who's a, who's a believer? You think you believe they're saved, but you just find it really, really difficult for you to love them. Would you raise your hand? If you're being honest this evening, any, are there others in here other than me? All right. How do you grow to a place where you can love someone who is unlovable? Can I tell you? As you grow closer to loving God... You realize that God loves them in their brokenness, and He's called you to love them in their brokenness. Even if their brokenness has hurt you, even if their brokenness has um, uh, violated your trust, even if your bro- their brokenness has torn you apart, if God loves them, then I can find it in my heart to love them. God says there's no exceptions. You go back out throughout the book of 1 John 5, and uh, rather 1 John, and he says some really heavy things. He says this, he says that if you hate your brother, you walk not in the light. He says this, if you hate your brother, you dwell not in the love of God. He says this, if you hate your brother, you're not even saved. Boy, we better make sure we don't have a hatred that stirs in our heart toward another believer. What are uh, the things that we are to know? He says in verse 2, we know that we love the children of God. The second marker is not only that we love God, but we keep His commandments. I hope you hear what I'm about to say right here. If you are a disobedient child to the commandments, don't be surprised when when you bump heads with other Christians. Some people say, well, brother such and such or sister such and such, they're hard to get along with. It's time you look at the Bible and say, am I living in line or in rebellion with the Bible? Because if you're living in rebellion with the Bible, I guarantee you, you're going to butt heads with other believers. Guarantee you. If you're not living in line with the Word of God, you're not keeping His commandments. You're not guarding them and cherishing them and preserving them and, and, and looking out after them. You are going to butt heads with other people. We are to love God's children. Number two, notice our salvation is certain. Our salvation is certain. Look down at 1 John chapter 5 and look at verse number 12. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you, look at here, that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. I think many Christians take advantage of God. What do I mean? You know what would be really easy for me to do? 
It would be really easy for me to pastor a church where I could get up and tell the people, you better behave or you're going to lose your salvation. You know what that does to people? That causes people to behave out of fear. Oh, I don't want to go to hell. I better behave. By your fruits you shall know them. Oh, I better have fruits. I better manufacture fruits. Or otherwise, I, I, I may not be saved. And if the pastor doesn't think I'm saved, then I'm probably not saved. But no, we teach that salvation is by grace through faith, and that once it's obtained, Scripture says you can never lose it. You know what a lot of Christians do with that knowledge? They walk all over God because of it. Now, I just encourage you, don't do that. The teaching of eternal security at White Oak Baptist Church for the 40 years of its history has been very strong. Some of you have been in this church a long time, and you know it like the back of your hand that you are saved. Let me tell you, that ought to stir you and drive you to serve God, not cause you to walk all over God. Hey, I find rest that God loves me and will never, ever divorce Himself from me. I also feel very loved because there have been times in my life where I've not been worth much. I've not been worth keeping around. But God's loved me anyway. And if He can be that committed to me, boy, I sure do want to serve Him. Our salvation is certain. Number three, we can pray with confidence. We can pray with confidence. Look at verse number 14 in 1 John chapter number 5. And this is the confidence that we have in Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. Why am I asking you, White Oak Baptist Church, to vote and pray? Because I believe that your prayers are probably more powerful than your vote. especially in Connecticut. Amen? I think that you need to get on your knees and pray. Why? Because we can pray with boldness. In fact, Hebrews 4 tells us that we are to come unto the throne of grace with boldness. With boldness. Does that mean that we're brash? No. Does that mean that we're rude? Of course not. Does that mean that we come in flippant? No, we need to be reverential. But we can walk up to the throne of God with boldness and we can make our petitions known. And we can know that if we're praying according to His will, He will hear us and He will answer us and He will fulfill what we're asking. Uh, Jeremiah 33.3 Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. If, uh, delight thyself also in the Lord, Psalm 37.4 And He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. As I fall in love with God and my relationship with Him is rich and deep and real, He puts desires in my heart. I pray for those desires, then He fulfills the desire. We can pray with, with confidence. Number four. Number four. Our eternal record is clear. Our eternal record is clear. Look at First John chapter 5, verse number 18. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. But that he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. You know, um, a lot of people struggle with this verse. So let me just give you an explanation of this here, real quick. One day, we are going to face a judgment. 
called the Bema seat, or the great, or rather the not the great white throne. That's the one for the lost. All right. I hope you're not there. If you are, you need to get saved. But that first judgment is the judgment seat or the Bema seat. We'll stand before God and we'll give an account for our service. Can I tell you who else is going to be at that judgment? The devil. The devil. You know what he's going to do? He's going to stand up there and he's going to accuse each and every one of us of sins that we have committed. He's going to tell God he or she is guilty of And he's going to have a list, and that list is going to be very accurate. But we are going to have a lawyer. And his name is Jesus Christ. And Jesus is going to stand there and say, Nope. I don't see those sins anywhere on his or her record because I washed them away with my blood. Our our eternal record is clear, free and clear. And after Satan accuses the brethren, he will be thrown out of heaven one last time. Our eternal record is clear. Hey, these are some things that if we're going to succeed in Christ, that we need to know. But now that lays the groundwork for our principal text this evening, verses 19 and 20. Number one, we are to love God's children. Number two, these are the things we are to know. Our salvation is certain. Number three, we can pray with confidence. Number four, our eternal record is clear. And now we move into new territory tonight. Notice number five, holy living is our calling. Holy living is our calling. Look at verse number 19 of 1 John chapter 5. Notice the contrast in the verse here. And we know that we are of God. And the whole world lieth in wickedness. Notice, notice the contrast of the verse. We are of God. I thought about, uh, let's see, uh, fall program 2019, we gave out shirts with the church's silhouette on it. Some of you still have that. You wear it around your house when you just need to get dirty. Amen. Um, uh, I thought about giving out a shirt this year, but with COVID and whatnot, it didn't happen. Maybe we'll do it next year. But I thought about getting a shirt that said, Property of God. Property of God. Isn't that what verse 19 says? We know that we are property of God. We are of God. What does 1 Corinthians 6, 19 tell us? What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, and ye are not your own? Ye are bought with a price, right? Therefore glorify God with your body and members which are God's. We are property of God. Now notice the contrast in verse 19. We are property of God. We are His property, His slaves, His servants, and the world lieth in wickedness. The world lieth in wickedness. What is verse 19 telling us? It's telling us, hey, you ought to know that if you're going to be a disciple of Christ, that you have been called to holy living. Holy living. You're not to behave like the world, talk like the world, dress like the world, act like the world, listen to the music of the world, be friends with the world. You are to be distinct, separate, a peculiar people, set apart for a sanctified and holy calling. You're in 1 John. Turn over just a couple of pages to the left of the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 15. I, um, I have... 
an extended family member, I'll leave it at that, who uh, goes to a very liberal contemporary church in a different state. I'm being vague, as vague as possible, all right? Plausible deniability, amen. And my brother uh, was over with her, spending time with her, and this particular relative uh, loves to debate and argue and make fun of us indie fundy Baptist people, independent fundamental Baptist people. And she grew up in that, and, and she's rebelled from it and run from it, and she's, she's saying, you know, we're not under the law, we're not under the law, we're not under the law. And finally, my brother opened his Bible to 1 Peter chapter 1 and looked at her and said, Being holy is still in the Bible! You can't get away from it! We can't get away from being holy, folks! Look, there's stuff that's on TV right now a Christian has no right watching. And I'm not going to sit up here and, and list shows. But I want you to ask yourself this question about the TV that you watch. Does it bring glory to God when I watch it? Does it honor the Lord? Does it make me a better Christian? Look at verse 15 of 1 Peter 1. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. And this is a quote from the book of Leviticus. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Let me give you a practical example of this tonight. Genesis chapter 6, we find a character named Noah. Noah found grace, the Bible says, in the eyes of the Lord. Genesis chapter 6 verse 5 tells us that the imagination of every man was only evil continually. Wow! Noah was the only righteous man walking the planet, and he was leading his family to do so, but he was the only one God could see that was doing what was right. You know what Noah was doing? He was living holy in a world that lied in wickedness. Matthew chapter 24, verse 37, the Bible says, But as the days of Noah, or Noah, were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. How is it that people are? That their imagination is only evil continually? That people are secular and push away from God and uh, promote things that are anti-God. By the way, let me just go back to Hollywood and uh, uh, TV for a minute. Uh, there is a lot of media on TV, I'm talking about news, that I won't watch because it's propaganda. It's propaganda. News agencies are owned by people who are pushing Marxist, communist agendas through their news agencies. And there's a whole bunch of you that won't watch those, those uh, channels. Do you know that when the news rolls off and the sitcoms roll on, that the same company that puts out the news puts out those sitcoms and those crime shows? Don't you understand they're trying to push the same agenda down your throat with a fictional show? Satan will get you to laugh at sin before he'll get you to accept it. Back in the 90s, the show that was popular was Will and Grace. What was Will and Grace? It was the introduction of homosexual living to our society in an attempt to get us to laugh at something that we knew back then was debaucherous and wicked. And we went from laughing at it to accepting it. Some of us need to turn off the TV. Turn off the TV. Look at 2 Timothy 3. 
This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Now, I, I know many of us are familiar with this passage, but I want to just make an observation here. What is so perilous about those days? Do you know what it is? It's the behavior of the people in those days. All right? What is so perilous about the last days or that time Jesus is going to come back? Look at verse 2. And I believe that all these verses combined describe what I would clinically label a narcissist. Some people have many or most or all of these qualities. Others might just have one here or there. Let's look at them here. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Covetous. You know, covetousness grips the church. You know why our offerings here are so low? I'm not trying to berate anyone. I'm talking uh, uh, corporately here. You know why our offerings are so low? It isn't because you all don't have a heart to give more. It's because you can't. Now, this isn't the case for everyone. But for many people who can't, it's because they're living a lifestyle that is covetous. And you don't have any money to give to the Lord. We have some missionary come here and present his work and share a need. We share a missionary letter about a big need a missionary has. And you think, let me reach in my pocket and give them something and there's nothing in there. I'm not judging you. I've been in the same spot. We're covetous. Look back at verse number 2. And shall be lovers of them themselves, covetous, boasters, proud. You know what that means? That means they're good at fishing for compliments. They're good at sulking and drawing pity. Blasphemers. Boy, they just disrespect authority. Disobedient to parents. Unthankful, unholy. Unthankful, unholy. You know those two go hand in hand. One of the first th- uh, uh, steps... Uh, One of the first slips, if you will, into a reprobate mind found in Romans 1 is that they were unthankful. They were unthankful. And what led next was they became unholy, meaning they became secular in their thinking from God. Uh, Christian, do you complain? Christian, do you pout? Or are you thankful for the good in your life? You say, Pastor, there isn't a whole lot in my life to be thankful for. And I would say, then you're perspective and your paradigm is all wrong. Boy, we need to get busy counting our blessings. Verse 3, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors. You're going and gossiping and whispering about something behind someone's back. You know what you are? You're a Christian traitor. You have a problem with somebody, you should go to the person, not to someone else. It bears repeating. There should never be an instance in the family of White Oak Baptist Church where one Christian goes to another Christian and talks about gossip. Let's not do that to each other. That hurts. Heady meaning they're relying on their own intellect over their faith. High-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Boy, let's make sure we're not more enthused about a stakeout than we are soul winning. Let's make sure we're not more excited about a ladies' banquet in May than we are about going out and telling people about Jesus. 
That's just a sign that you're living like those in the last day. You love pleasure more than you love God and His heartbeat. And then verse number 5 applies directly to the church, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. What does it mean to have a form of godliness but to deny the power thereof? You know what it means? It means that you act like you're some great Christian in front of those who are Christians. But it's nothing more than just a facade. You know the story of the three little pigs? I'll huff and I'll, blow, I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house down. And it was only the house of brick that stood. Many Christians, their house of Christianity is nothing more than straw or mud. Satan comes and blows hard with problems in your life. And everyone ends up finding out there just wasn't really a whole lot there. We need Christians who don't just have the form or the appearance of godliness. We need Christians who are godly all the way down in their heart. Are you godly? If God were to come and sit down with you, would He look at you and say, You're like me. You're godly. We're really good at putting on a show. Making everyone think we're great. But the truth is, behind the scenes, there's a whole lot of godlessness that goes on in our hearts. If you're going to be a true disciple of Christ, there's some things you need to know. One of them is that you have been called to be holy. I think it's time for all of us to ask God like David did to search our hearts. Know our thoughts. See if there be any wicked way that lieth within us. Baptist pastors for decades have gained a reputation of beating people over the head with rules. I'm not going to stand up here and tell the women how to dress other than the Bible says you're to dress modestly. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you what kind of music is right or wrong. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you, um, uh, give you a list of things that are questionable in Scripture. But I am going to tell you this. God has called you to be holy. And if you will commit to a life of holiness, then you won't need a pastor to tell you how to dress or where to go or who to be friends with or how to live. You'll develop an attitude that says, not what's wrong with it, but pastor, what's right with it? God, what's right with it? We have a church full of people here at White Oak Baptist Church. 
And I don't like to say this. But I have to speak the truth. We have a church full of people at White Oak Baptist Church that look the part. But in many cases, we're nothing more than a bunch of phonies. God has called us to holy living. You know, if I was uh, going to the gym day in and day out and I was not doing my part, I would want my trainer to be firm with me and tell me. I can either be offended by truth or I can embrace truth and be better because of it. Now, not everyone at White Oak Baptist Church is a phony. Many of you aren't. But many of you are. It's time, White Oak Baptist Church, for us to be godly. There are some things we need to know. Number six, notice Jesus Christ has come. Jesus Christ has come. Look at 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 20. And we know that the Son of God is come. Aren't you glad Jesus came? Aren't you glad that He died on the cross for your sins? Aren't you glad the grave couldn't hold Him? Amen? Aren't you, aren't you glad He's alive forevermore? Aren't you glad He holds in His possession the keys to death, hell, and the grave that cannot overtake you because you have put your faith in Him? Boy, John says here, he says, We know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true, uh, and that uh, and we are in Him that is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ, that is the true God and eternal life. Letter A, notice, His integrity displayed. His integrity displayed. Look back uh, there at, um, uh, look with me back at verse number 20. It says there, uh, And hath given us an understanding that we may know Him that is True. Oh, I don't want to know something that's false or a lie. I want to know that which is true. I want to know people who try to live their life by truth. Jesus is the standard of truth. And we are in Him that is true. Notice twice now. Uh, uh, even in His Son, Jesus Christ, that is the true God in eternal life. By the way, verse 20 clearly declares that Jesus is God. He is God and He is truth. Hold your place in 1 John 5 and turn to John chapter 1, verse 14. This has been a John type of day. Amen. We were in the book of John in the morning and we're in the book of 1 John and the book of John in the evening. John chapter 1 and verse number 14. Turn there with me if you would. Um, uh, John chapter 1 and verse number 14. The Bible says, And the Word, notice the capital W, this is speaking of Jesus, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is truth. Turn to John chapter 14, verse number 6. We looked at this verse in the morning when we talked about Thomas, the delicate, weak, faith disciple, and how Jesus handled him with kid gloves, with care. Thomas said unto him, how can we know the way? Verse 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way the truth. I am the truth in the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And then one more verse here. Turn to John chapter 18 and verse number 37. John 
chapter number 18 and verse 37. Here Jesus has been arrested. He is standing before Pilate where he's being tried by the Roman governor uh, who will eventually uh, condemn him to die on Calvary. And here Pilate is interviewing Jesus. Verse 37, Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world that I should bear witness Unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. You know what Jesus is saying? He said, you want truth? I'm the truth. That's what Jesus is saying. You know, when we look at Jesus, you know what we see? We see a perfect standard of integrity. Everything Jesus says, He does. Everything that was promised about Jesus, about His first coming, was fulfilled. Everything that uh, has been prophesied about Jesus' second coming will be fulfilled. Every last detail, every single part of it. I praise God for that. That Jesus always keeps His word. He always keeps His promise. He never, ever lies. And oh, I find so much rest in that. Now, we have looked at six we knows. Out of 1 John chapter 5, what is the practical application for us tonight? Look at letter B. Notice, our intimacy desired. Our intimacy desired. God wants you. And God wants me. As you read through the Old Testament, and I'm talking about from a bird's eye view, you know what I find as I read through the book of the Old Testament? I find... A repeating pattern. God passionately loves His people. They turn and cheat on Him. God gets angry. God punishes them. They return. They love each other. And then God passionately loves His people again. And they get distracted. And they cheat on Him. And it happens over and over and over and over again. You know why God created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? This might in part be my opinion, but I believe that this is apparent throughout the Bible. You know why God created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? Because He wanted to spend time with the creation. He came down every day and walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden. And you know what? When Adam and Eve chose to eat that fruit, they broke God's heart. They crushed Him. That one-on-one fellowship could no longer be enjoyed. Why do you think God speaks so highly of Enoch in Scripture? Because Enoch walked with God on such an intense, intimate level that God said, I can't stand it. You just need to come on up here and be with me. God wants us to be intimate with Him. Now look back at verse number 20 in 1 John 5. And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding. Look here that we may know Him that is true. And we are in Him that is true. Even in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God in eternal life. Notice those two phrases, that we may know Him and we are in Him. Remember those two phrases, that we may know Him and we are in Him. Turn over to Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 7. Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 7. There was an apostle named Paul who I believe uh, had a very, very fervent 
deep, strong relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul here is going to talk about his earthly credentials and his accomplishments and how that that meant nothing to him. He'd rather instead know Jesus. Look at Philippians 3 verse 7. The Bible says here, Paul is speaking, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung uh, that I may win Christ. Well, Paul, why don't you tell us how you really feel about your life accomplishments? He said that dunghill outside of town where they take the excrement, he said that's what I think of all of my earthly accomplishments in comparison to my desire to know Christ intimately. Look at verse 9. Remember those two phrases. And that we may know Him and we are in Him. Look at verse 9. And be found in Him. Not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ. The righteousness which of God, which is of God by faith. That I may know Him. And the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. How bad do you want it? How bad do you want to walk with God? How intimate do you want to be with the Savior? Can you say that you just take all of your life accomplishments that are material and throw them on the dung pile in exchange for a deeper walk with God? Now, Paul didn't arrive there overnight, but he got there. Paul said, I want all of it. I want the power and I want the suffering. I don't care what it is. I just want to know God deeper. By the way, You cannot know God deeper until you begin to live a life that's holy. The two go hand in hand. It is not enough to know about God. We need to know God. This sermon in sorts has been a scathing rebuke to many people. And I must add one more thought. I believe White Oak Baptist Church is filled with people that know who God is. But they don't actually know God. You can quote verses. You know the stories. But deep down in your heart, you know that you don't pray. Now, not all of you, but there's some of you here. You don't read your Bible. You've never spent an hour alone with God in prayer, ever in your life. You don't even know how to spend an hour alone with God in prayer. Now, I'm not here this evening to guilt trip you over that. Here's what I'm trying to do. How bad do you want it? How bad do you want it? It ought to bother you if it doesn't bother you. You ought to care that you don't care. 
you should be upset that your heart has gotten so callous toward God. I have two quotes I would like for you to fill in there on the bottom of your outline. Here they are. The great emotional need of mankind is to know and be known. The great emotional need of mankind is to know and be known. I got married because I wanted to know someone on a deeper level. And I wanted her to know me on a deeper level. I spend time with my children because I want to know them on a deep level and I want them to know their father on a deep level. I spend time with God because I want to know Him on a deeper level. And I know God already knows everything about me. But I want to know Him on a deep, deeper level. Notice that David, the Bible does not say that God was the man after David's own heart. The Bible says that David was the man after God's own heart. David was set aside. He was distinct. He was different than all the other kings because David wanted to know God. And Paul the same. Paul wanted to know God so deep. Paul said, I don't want to do anything in my life that would prevent me from knowing God deeper. I want to be holy so I can know God. Hey, it's time to separate the men from the boys, the ladies from the girls. It's time to quit playing games with Christianity and calling ourselves a Christian Because we go to church and we smile and we carry our Bible and we wear nice clothes and we look the part and we talk the part. We know all the buzzwords. We know how to pray in church and impress people with our prayers. God sees through all of it. And He says, I know who you are. And I'm calling you to holy living. And I'm calling you to walk with How about it tonight, Christian? Is you, are you ready to be a true disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ? This quote, and I'm done. What, what we know about Christ in our heads should, should drive us to better know Christ with our hearts. What we know about Christ in our heads should drive us to know, uh, better know Christ with our hearts. The more I learn about God, the more I want God. The more I learn about the Word, the more I want God. A relationship with Jesus Christ, who is my God. Lord, tonight, I don't want anyone in this room to be convicted because of Pastor Lejeune. Lord, my prayer is that people tonight would be convicted because of the Holy Spirit. Lord, this is one of the heaviest sermons I have preached in a very long time but I believe it was of you, and I believe it is critical. Help us to take inventory of our life. Help us to clear out the sins and the weights that keep us from knowing you deeper. May we be in you, and may we know you like we've never known you before.